thank you for joining us. Thank you for braving the weather. If you're joining us online, thanks for joining us online. We are um, glad that you're with us. When I was a little boy, uh, seven years old, we had some relatives visit from Massachusetts. We were living in Michigan, and they were nigh unto stunned by my obsession with the Detroit Tigers. Uh, this everything I had posters, everything was all about the Tigers for me. Uh, just to give you a, a snippet of that, when I was about 10 or 11, some of my classmates asked me, do you know who the Beatles are? Uh-uh. I have no idea who the Beatles are. They no way. Like, you've got to know who John Wayne is. Nope. Don't know who John Wayne is. But I can give you the earned run average of every pitcher on the Detroit Tigers pitching staff. Well, we went to see these relatives eight years later. I was almost 16. I was going into my junior year. And the question they had was, uh, do you still love the Tigers like you used to? And the answer was no. Over time, my fixation, my love for the Tigers had dissipated. Uh, that's how it goes a lot in life, doesn't it? We, we kind of run out. We kind of dissipate. But what John is going to suggest to us in our, our letter is our, our love for Christ should grow. It, it, it should continue. It, it should blossom. It should expand. Well, why is that? We're going to talk about that this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you can open it to 1 John 1. 1 through 4, we're going to look at these four verses and ask this question, why? Why should we have a growing love for Jesus? Now, as you're turning there, let me give you a little background. We're going to spend 12 Sundays in 1 John, and then we'll pick up 2nd and 3rd John also. Uh, We'll have a little break for Easter in there, so it won't be consecutive, but 12 Sundays in total. John writes between 70 and 90 A.D., probably 50 or so years after Christ's uh, death and resurrection and ascension. Uh, he writes from Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And he writes because the church is in crisis. Some enlightened teachers said they have gotten a special insight from the Spirit, and, and they have new teaching about God, and yes, even Jesus. Uh, this teaching in their thinking theology, the, the spiritual and the physical are separate. So that doesn't affect, one doesn't affect the other. So they claim to be sinless because spiritually they're pure, though in the physical life, maybe not, but you know, that, that doesn't matter to them. What's of significance is they flat out deny the incarnation of Jesus, the idea that the eternal God became a human being, which is what we believed happened 2,000 years ago at Christmas, that God took on human flesh, which is a core principle of our faith. It is a foundational principle. They deny that. And so John is confronting that teaching right now. He is writing from a distance, and the church he shepherds is in crisis. Well, you say, Andy, well, that's, you know, that's kind of well and good. Thanks, thanks for the, the download, but, but what does that matter? 
What matters is, in principle, what went on there 2,000 or so years ago is still going on today. People are claiming their own insight to determine their own view of God. When I worked campus ministry, I would meet with college students, and they say, yeah, you know, I, I, I take a little bit of the Bible, and I take a little bit of um, Buddhism, and I, I, I throw in a dash of uh, the Book of Mormon, and I this, and I, and I, I you know, I, I form my own view of God. Well, in reality, then, you're your own God. You decide out here who or what God is, and then you go and you look for things that, that support your, th- and, and you develop your own concept of God. And what's at issue here is what forms our understanding of God. We believe the Bible is divinely inspired. Jesus and the Spirit of God so moved in people that they wrote under his authority. And that's where we get our understanding of God. And people say, ah, that's, that's, that's kind of out there that you trust the book. Okay, let's set that aside for a minute. Then, then the question I have for people is, where do you get your understanding of God? How is it you understand and you gain knowledge of God? If it's not the Bible, then where? And I'd suggest if it's not, then one way or another, we are our own God. And so what John is dealing with in principle is relevant today. Because we still have people who say, I've got my own idea about God. Well, what that's caused in the church that John is shepherding from a distance is a whole bunch of strife and tension. Because there are people who are leaving, following these false teachers. John will get into it in 1 John 2. He will say, they left because they never were really among us, but it's created confusion. These people for a time gave all the evidence, all the outward trappings of someone who's following Jesus, but now they're gone after a different God. And that's caused tension, and it's caused division in the church, and what about, and who's this, and that, and, and John is writing to say, you know, there are two indicators of a genuine faith, and we see them here. One is love, and it's love for our brethren. And the second is light. We live in such a way that we reflect the glory of God. You know, I think those two are are relevant today. More than ever, we need to reflect Jesus in a world that's hurting. But perhaps the bigger one is this commitment to love. Boy, I've never seen a time, a year, where the church seems to have been divided over outside issues, whether it's what do you do about the pandemic or what about the election or what about the, the protests that are going on. And does this commitment to love our brothers and sisters trump all of that? Or are we going to be? So John's message today has application for us. And so he starts in verse 1, and actually the first three and a half verses are one long sentence. So let's see, let's try and take that apart. It says right at the start, what was from the beginning? Now this is going to be a very creative and somewhat cryptic 
ambiguous opening because he's going to talk about what. But he's not going to identify what until verse 3. We're going to find some things about what. What was from the beginning. So whatever what is, is eternal. From the beginning. John starts, he writes a gospel where he talks about the beginning, and that takes us back to Genesis. So whatever this what is, is eternal. From the beginning. But then this eternal what, John says some things about it. What we have heard, whatever what is, we've heard what. And we have seen what we have seen with our own eyes. We've heard and we've seen what. And then he he goes on to say, and we have looked, what we have looked at. And and so one says he's seen, but but looked at it, the the, the kind of the indication there is is we, we contemplated what. Again, ambiguous. Haven't identified what, but, but talking about what. And, and, and touched this what with our own hands. So, so it's, it's a really unusual opening. No greeting. Just starts talking about what. Doesn't identify what. Just says this, this what's eternal, we... We've heard what, we've seen what, we've, we've contemplated what, we, we've even t- touched what. And then he's, he says something at the end of verse 1 about what, concerning the word of life. What brings life? Talks about that life in verse 2. And the life was manifested, it was made known. And we have seen and testified, proclaimed to you the eternal life. Okay, which was with the Father. So this part, apparently this what was with the Father and was manifested to us. Okay, so then verse 3, we're finally going to get to it. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you may have fellowship with us. I, I'm going to come back to that. John's major concern, you have, may have fellowship with us. And our, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father. And here's the identity, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is eternal. Jesus was there when it, he spoke the world into existence. John and his friends, they, they saw and they heard and they contemplated and they touched Jesus, the eternal Son of God. And they said, man, he came from the Father to bring life. And this life is eternal. And this life has been manifested to us. So John's really excited to proclaim and to present this what to the people. Let me see if I can give you context for that. It's a mention I was a, uh, from about age 7 to, I don't know, 11, 12. I just, just mad, just crazy about the Tigers. And when I was 7, they won the World Series. They were down 3-1 to one and they came back and they won. And when you're I was just about to turn eight. That's just magic when you're a kid. And my favorite player was a catcher named Bill Freehan. And uh, I had a poster of Bill Freehan in my room. And they, uh, some company had a promotional thing, tips from the Tigers. And they had an infielder write about infielding and an outfielder write about outfielding, one something about hitting, one about pitching. But Bill Freehan 
wrote one about catching. So I read and reread tips from the Tigers on catching. And I started playing Little League Baseball when I was eight, and I was the catcher. So I was really into Bill Freehan. So 1969, we are at the Michigan State Fair. I'm eight, I'm going to turn nine, and there's a big long line. And my parents say, hey, what's this line? I don't know. Well, why don't we get in it? Well, I mean, I want to do some rides. No, no, I think it would be worth getting in this. It's a long line, and you've got to work your way up. And I, I, I'm kind of frustrated. What's the, and, and finally, you start to see uh, uh, marquees and sandwich boards, and my parents say, look, appearing today to sign autographs is who? Bill Freehan. I, 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 I mean, crap. Are you serious? And so for the rest, I'm, I'm standing up and I, I'm looking. I can't, and I'm getting up there and I get up there and I'm dumbstruck. I don't know what to say. He, he reached out to shake my hand. Shake, okay, shake your hand. Signs the thing. But you know what I talked about for the next number of weeks? I got to meet Bill Freehand. And I had an autographed ball. Now, you couldn't touch it. But you could see it. I got his autograph right here. I told everybody I met, Bill Freehan. How much more is John saying, you wouldn't believe who I met? I met the eternal Son of God. And he's come to bring life. And yeah, is he motivated about it? Yeah, is he excited about it? You bet he is. He needs us to know that life has been made manifest in this Jesus. So, I need us to consider this question. If life is made manifest for us in Jesus, where are you and I looking for life? Where are we looking for life? Huskers? Super Bowl? Chiefs? Chiefs victory? Is that, is that you sinners? Yes, it is. <laughs> you know, job promotion, new house, graduate with honors, first chair clarinet. Yeah, I met with a friend this week. We had breakfast together. And he said, you know, my wife and I are kind of bored. And I said to this friend, you know what? My wife and I have said the same thing. We're kind of bored because so much has been taken from us. You want to go out to dinner? Well, you can do that, but maybe you want to go to the theater? Maybe you, but you, I mean, this pandemic has challenged us, hasn't it? It's taken away stuff that it's, it's kicked some crutches out from us. And it's forced us to wrestle with the question, Where do we find life? Let's mine what we can of value from this. It's it's forcing us to wrestle with priorities. And and yeah, honestly, where are we looking for life? Because John's pretty pumped up. He's pretty excited. He said, I I found it in Jesus. And John said, "I've, I've heard, I've seen I've contemplated and I've touched and I'm absolutely convinced Jesus brings life 
from now into eternity. Besides this letter, these three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, John wrote a gospel. Uh, the gospel wasn't uh, to a particular church per se, but it was John's recollections or his writings of what Jesus did. And he, he recorded much of the, or many of the miracles that Jesus did. And, and he finished his gospel this way. Uh, and he says in John 20, verse 30 and 31, we'll put it up there. This is from his gospel. He says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. And there's a little hyperbole here, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus, I'm sorry, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John said, I'm writing this gospel for this reason, so that you would believe in his name. I'm not pulling any punches. I don't want to be deceptive. I'm writing this record of his life so that you might believe in his name. So I need to ask you, you don't have to answer me out loud, but I need you to think about the question, what do you believe about Jesus? What's your conclusion? Now he claims, and the gospel accounts claim that he was the son of God. He proved it through miracles and to authenticate it. And finally, he willingly went to the cross to pay for your sin and mine, uh, was convicted in a mockery of a trial, executed, put in a tomb on a Friday, and rose again on Sunday morning, sealing the deal for those who believe in, purchasing their salvation, and showing himself once and for all to be the eternal son of God. My question is, what do you believe? about Jesus. And like, you don't have to tell me, but you need to answer that question with God. Some of you here or some of you are watching online saying, well, Andy, I'm not sure. And, and that's okay. I got involved in the dorm Bible study as a freshman in college, and I took six months, and I heard this message of the gospel every week. Six months. Heard it once a week at a minnow. But in February of that year, uh, six months later, I, I was just confronted again with the gospel. And I thought, you know, um, I, I got to get in or get out on this thing. I, I got to believe what the word of God says about Jesus. And, or, or I just got to stop going. So I encourage you to contemplate and consider Jesus. But there comes a time, you need to make a decision. Are you in or are you out? John says he is the one who gives life. What do you believe about Jesus? So then John writes this letter as a pastor because his flock is under attack from teachers who are undermining the credibility, who are denying that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God. And John's saying there's no other way to connect with God. There's no other way to come to God and experience life. So we, we started wrestling with this question. Why? why? Why should we have a growing relationship, a growing love for Jesus? Here's why. Jesus is our only means of connecting with God. Jesus is our only means of connecting with God. You want to be connected with your creator. Jesus is the only way. And as you grow in your understanding and knowledge of God, it naturally follows that you fall more in love with Jesus. 
Now, as John has proclaimed this, in verse 3, he says, we proclaim this to you also for this reason, so that you may have fellowship with us. And then he says, and our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. Interesting to me that he's first things he says is I'm proclaiming to this so that we might have fellowship. See, we, over the last few weeks, have talked about these gross studies, and we've invited you to, to connect with others over this. See, connecting with God and connecting with others, they're linked. In John's mind, you wouldn't connect with God without connecting with others. It's a part of our faith experience, the people of God. We're connected with God. Of course, we are connected with others. I encourage you, as one way, to find a way to connect with people using this. You can do Zoom. You can meet in a coffee shop. You can do other. But John says, I'm interested in connecting with you. And together, we're going to connect with God. And, you know, our, our things have changed a little bit because last year. But that doesn't mean the priority of connecting with people stops. And I realize there's a different levels of comfort, but we need to find a way to be doing that, connecting with others. So my first level of people in my life is, is, is my family. And I've got a, a wife and two sons. One's going to school here, and, and then one's in Wayne. And I would say my next level of people that I'm, I'd kind of do life with is the staff team. And I'm part of a staff team of six. So until last March, the six of us, if you would go back there, there's an office, and the six of us would be crammed in to this little space. There'd be three of us sitting on this couch, boom, 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 right together. And, and it's kind of, that's how we did it. And then about March 1st or so, this thing started coming up, and, and, and we thought, boy, the pandemic's a deal. But that didn't mean we stopped connecting. Now what we do is we get six of these round tables out here in these in this cafeteria, I guess we got five because we got five family units, and we all sit at a table six feet apart. You don't stop connecting. You just find another way to do it. Because John says connection with others is the lifeblood of our faith. And he said, we're proclaiming this Jesus to you, and, and you and I have, have the, 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 the responsibility to proclaim it with others. Now, I think in our culture, that means taking a listening posture, a learning posture. What can we find out? Where are people at? And, and then kind of share our story and, and bring Jesus to bear on our story and theirs. You know, years ago, I was um, in the process of raising my financial support as a missionary, and I was in the beginning stages. And I was living with a, a guy I'd known uh, at Texas a We were in Dallas, and he had a roommate that I, that I just met. And one night, this, this roommate could see that I was down, and, and I was just discouraged in the process. And he began to ask questions, and he began to gently kind of probe. And um, he said, Andy, did you know I, I did this too? I was a supportive missionary for 15 years with the, actually the same mission organization. I said, no, I didn't. And he said, could I, could I share some of the stuff I learned? Well, absolutely. And we sat at the kitchen table that night, and he just kind of leafed through the Bible. But in the context of hearing each other's stories, could we be about proclaiming Jesus in a sensitive way, in a, in a hearing way, in a listening posture? We're not trying to get something said. We're trying to get something heard. 
And what can we do that other people would hear the message of Jesus? So then in verse 4, John says, These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. I uh, saw um, a definition of joy. It's a satisfaction of the soul. It's a certainty that things are headed in a God-centered, God-honoring direction. It's, it's not all there. It's not all perfect right now. But there's a certainty, a satisfaction that things are going to work out ultimately. If not immediately, ultimately. So after I graduated from seminary, my wife and I went to um, language school and we lived with the Costa Rican family. And I remember part of our experience was three days a week we'd do a route and, and we'd memorize a text and we'd go to shops and I went to a pharmacist and I, I, there's 10 people I went to and, and I would say my little text and they'd answer me back. And honestly, for the first six weeks, I, I understood nothing. But I remember about week six, I started to pick up words and I started to pick up phrases. Now understand, there was about 80% that I was not understanding and 20% that I was. But I walked away that day with the joy. Why? Because it was all in place? Because I was understanding it perfectly? No, not even close. But there was a sense of, I'm getting this. It's going to be a while. There's going to be a lot of hard work. There's going to be a lot of things I don't understand. There's going to be a lot of days of frustration. But, but it's taking hold, and I'm getting it. And I think John has a joy because he's seen Jesus taking hold. Is it where he wants to be? No, he's got a church in dissension. <laughs> He's being attacked. The very tenets of the faith are being attacked. But there's a certainty that Jesus has taken hold and, and it's going to continue. And, and we're looking at this 2,000 years later. And whatever those false teachers did, they didn't stop the work of Jesus because we're still talking about it. You know what? If Jesus takes another 2,000 years to come back, they're still going to be talking about it in 2,000 years. There's a certainty, a satisfaction of the soul, and John's talking about that, that we would be people of joy. I'm asking, what brings you joy? What brings you satisfaction in your soul? Is it the certainty that, though it's not perfect, though this world is flawed, though there's a long way to go, though there may be some suffering, though there may be some anguish, Jesus has taken hold, and there's no one going back. John says, I have great joy because... Of Jesus. I don't know why I get pulled into these uh, little videos on Facebook, but uh, they showed this man in a den with a 1,500 pound koala bear. And I thought, this is a bad idea. But how they do it, they play music and then they have little writings that come up that, that explain what's gone on. Well, this man found this bear when he was a cub. And he raised him from when he was thing. And so when he walks in, this 1,500-pound koala bear comes up and starts pawing at him and stuff. And then this guy gets down on the ground. And the bear lays down with him and puts one big paw over him and then nuzzles him with this thing. And I thought, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's a 
a great idea. But this guy, obviously, since the parable of the cub, had a growing love and a growing confidence in his relationship with a bear. But I thought, what a picture of where we should be with Almighty God, growing from the inception of our relationship with him, growing in our confidence, trusting him, laying ourselves open before him because we know him and our relationship is growing. Why is it that our relationship with Jesus, our love for Jesus should grow? It's the only way we can connect with God. It's the only way that we can connect with God.